You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Dangerous Prayers. In this series, we see how God invites us to grow in Christ-likeness and step into His mission as we learn to pray, search us, break us, unite us, and send us. Now hear the word of the Lord. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Peace be with you. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here. This is Epiphany Feast Sunday. We're so glad that you're here, that you've joined us. Uh, now, Epiphany, the, the, the day of Epiphany on the church calendar is actually tomorrow. Today is the 12th day of Christmas, just like the song says. This is the final day of Christmas, and then after the 12th day of Christmas, there is a, what's called a Feast of Epiphany. Since we meet on Sundays, we just conflated the two events. So this is our Epiphany Feast Day, and this is also the 12th day of Christmas, which is why we still have a Christmas tree and all these lights and decorations here. So we're not lazy. We did this on purpose. Uh, also, if, if you at home have not taken your Christmas decorations down and someone's making fun of you or calling you lazy, you can just tell them, hey, look, this is the 12th day of Christmas. I still have some time. Um, what is Epiphany? Well, Epiphany is a word that means uh, uh, manifestation or appearance um, or uh, just having made known, it's, it's, it's basically um, to celebrate the fact that God made Christ known to the Magi, these, these wise men who were traveling from far off, far in the east. They saw God's star in the sky, and they followed it to where the baby Jesus lay. And there the Magi worshipped him, and they gave him gifts. And as we reflect back on this historical event, we realize and we celebrate the fact that God has made Christ known to us. He has came and he's appeared to us and he has led us here. He has brought us into his family. He has brought us into the body of Christ. And that's why we celebrate Epiphany Feast every Sunday. Um, now, when Christ makes himself known to us and we see him for who he is, we also begin to see ourselves as we really are. And that can be uncomfortable. And so we start putting up all these false defenses and we start blaming other people for things. And really the best thing that could happen to us would be for God to cut through all that, cut through all those false defenses and break us so that he can make us like Christ and we would experience peace and purpose. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm sure many of you have heard the, uh, the modern proverb, the common denominator in all your bad relationships is you. You are the only person who has been a part of every bad decision you've ever made. And we know this is supposed to mean that we must own our role in our negative histories. We must accept and pause long enough to own our responsibility. 
What was our fault? Now, we don't do this because after a few seconds of thinking, we, we typically say, well, not much to own. It wasn't my fault. She's the one who. They're the ones that always. He started it. But not you. You're a, you're a good person. You just try to be a blessing. You keep God's rules, right? Listen. You can't even keep your own rules. You can't stay away from the donuts and the french fries and the caffeine and the potato chips. You can't turn off Netflix in time to give yourself eight hours of sleep at night. We're on day five of 2020. Half of you have already broken your New Year's resolution. Most of the rest of you didn't make a New Year's resolution because you broke them so many times in the past. What's the point of that? It doesn't work. Of course you break God's rules. Who are you kidding? Well, you, that's who you're kidding. The rest of us see it. But of course, we have the same blind spot when it comes to ourselves. Some of you who are older or maybe studied political cartoons in school remember an old Pogo cartoon that said, we have met the enemy and he is us. And so we turn to Psalm 51, written by King David. Not only Israel's most famous king, a mighty warrior, he was a musician, and David wrote most of the songs in the songbook of the Bible, the book of Psalms. And today we've come to Psalm 51, which is a psalm of contrition. Contrition is an old-fashioned word that means the courage to let your heart break over your sin. And this is good for us because the act of owning, naming, and confessing our sin to God is the only way to overcome it. Now, there's a very important caveat that we need to spell out today uh, before we go any further, and you need to keep it, this in mind uh, as we go through the rest of this message. So, so listen, this is, this is very important, this caveat, if this applies to you. If you've suffered or are suffering from an abusive relationship, that is not your fault. Don't hear anything in this sermon as justification for someone else abusing you on the grounds that you deserve it. Don't hear this as any kind of reason to stay in a dangerous environment because it was your fault. Now, are we all sinners, including those who are abused or have been abused? Yes, we are all sinners. But abusers don't mistreat their victims because of things the victims have done wrong. Abusers mistreat their victims because of something wrong within them that seeks justification and the behavior of their victims. And nothing you can do or say, no amount of towing the line, of trying to go along to get it wrong, trying to appease them, trying to do better, none of that will change what's really going on because the problem is not you, it's the abuser. Do we all understand that? Is that clear? All right, having said that, let's move on. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. David's transgressions are horrible. As king, he ordered a married subject named Bathsheba to sleep with him. He got her pregnant. Then to cover it up, he conspired to have her husband Uriah killed. The mercy David asks for is measured by his need, not his worthiness. In a sense, David's sins were greater than most of ours, and in fact, hopefully they were greater than all of ours. Maybe you're thinking, you know, okay, I get impatient, 
I have a little bit of an anger problem. That's about it. Maybe it's, well, sometimes I do sneak out of work a few minutes early. I watch movies that I probably shouldn't watch. I snap at my spouse from time to time. I let the kids watch too much TV because I'm too tired to deal with them. Maybe it's because of how badly David sinned that he doesn't write Psalm 51 the way you and I would. David doesn't say, Have mercy on me, O God, according to my overall record, according to the fact that I've also done some pretty cool things like slay Goliath and show mercy to Saul and write some lyrics that Chris Tomlin will turn into radio hits someday. (laughs) No, he pleads for God's mercy according to God's love and compassion. He doesn't try to blame Bathsheba. Well, the way she's been looking at me lately, the way she swings her hips when she walks and flirts with all the guys... He doesn't say, you know, God, Uriah wasn't a native Israelite. He was a Hittite. For all I know, maybe he was some kind of spy. There's none of that. No excuses. David can only throw himself at God's feet. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge Against you only? Well, Uriah might have thought differently. Our sin often hurts other people. In fact, most of the time I'd say our sin is meant for other people, not for God. But we don't see the enormity of it until we realize that God is the ultimate wronged party. By the time David writes this, Uriah is enjoying the afterlife. Sin is so serious to God that the primary picture of this is the cross of Christ. As the hymn says, it was my sin that held him there. David feels the sharpest pain imaginable, the pain of seeing our sin as God sees them. If anyone is ever going to make it right, if anyone is ever going to pay for our sin, it's going to have to be God in the person of Christ on the cross. Next, David says something just as radical. We are great at minimizing our sin. Well, yeah, maybe I, I shouldn't have gotten angry, but he's an idiot. She's a jerk. But this is just how I am. But everybody messes up. But it all worked out in the end. David maximizes his sin. Verse 5, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Every newborn enters into a web of relationships that is already deeply flawed. And if you don't think that we are born morally compromised, watch babies and children. It is natural. It is natural to pick on someone smaller than you. It is natural to demand your own way. It is natural to be selfish, to take what you want. It's natural. To be born in sin is to fall in line with our parents' sin as they did with theirs and they did with theirs. And we see this throughout the Bible, both individual people and entire generations doing the same dumb things that their parents did and their grandparents did and their great-grandparents did. And we see it in our own experiences. How many times did you say before becoming a parent, when I'm a parent, I will never say this thing that my mom used to say to me. I will never get angry like dad did. And then you find yourself falling in line in the same pattern. Verse 7, 
Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Hyssop is a bushy plant in the mint family. It's used in herbal medicine. In Leviticus, the third book of the Bible, uh, God commanded the Israelites to use hyssop uh, as a ceremonial cleansing agent for people and houses. Even earlier than that, in Exodus, the second book of the Bible, when the Israelites marked their doorposts with lamb's blood in order to, to avoid the angel of death that was coming against the Egyptians, God commanded them to use hyssop stalk as a paintbrush for the, uh, for the lamb's blood. God was marking his people as pure so they would be spared from the plague that was about to befall the Egyptians. So here, David is taking this historical event that they all knew, that everyone that originally sang Psalm 51 knew about, and he uses that historical event to say in a colorful way, purify me and spare me. He gets more explicit with what he's asking of God. Verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Three times David pleads for a pure, new, steadfast spirit that will be a sign that God has forgiven him. But even more than that, this will be a defense against future sin on David's part. You you can see it. It's as if David is saying, God, I'll probably do something like this again. I can't stop myself. I need a new heart. I need a new spirit. I need you. I need your spirit. See, David knows what forgiveness is. It's not just something God does. It's it's something that God is. It's God's presence himself. Usually our first deep experience of this comes in this moment that David is experiencing, the moment of contrition. We've come to the end of ourselves. No more evading, no more excusing our faults. We realize that we are terribly wounded by this sin because it is separating us from our source of life, our relationship with God. This moment of contrition becomes the moment of healing and forgiveness. God's Spirit meets ours and healing begins. Fortunately for David and for us, nothing is beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. But we won't feel it until we ask for it. Theologian Ellen Davis says it like this, We might suppose that God waits to have mercy on us until we are good and devastated by our sins, but God's mercy flows constantly like the sea. Yet much of the time we are simply too hard-hearted to experience it. Contrition enables us to feel God's mercy toward us. When we let our hearts break before God, the pieces do not sink into oblivion. They are borne up. They float. Yes, they sail on the tide of God's mercy. Now, King David lived 1,000 years before Christ. We live 2,000 years after. We look back on the cross and know that those of us who have accepted Christ have been forgiven once and for all for every sin we ever have and ever will commit. Mercy is here. but we won't feel God's mercy until we own our need of it. And we won't do that until we learn to recognize and admit it. 
We own our slice of humble pie. Hence, this week's Monday challenge, something for you to work through tomorrow. We'll put this on the screen. This is also in your bulletin, a simple little diagnostic tool that you can work through. Now, you'll see this is not any great work of art. This is essentially just a circle, so you can get a piece of paper or a napkin. Uh, see my fine artistic skill here. I'm pretty horrible when it comes to art, but you just draw a circle and a vertical line down through the middle, horizontal line down through the middle, and a couple diagonal lines to make a pie, a pizza, cheesecake, what have you. All right, so I'll explain how to do this. This is a, a monthly checkup that you can do. This could be a quarterly checkup. This, is, this could be something that you do whenever you are feeling bitter and far from God. Maybe you don't even realize why. This is something that you can do for any relationship, for your relationship with your kids, your parents, friendships. Something that has gone sideways or isn't clicking quite like it should. Anywhere that you've had a, a relational problem recently. You ask God to help you consider, how much of this pie is my fault? Something I did, something I said, something I left undone, something that I should have said but didn't. You color that slice of the pie. And um, now, now the slide back here, this is an example of what not to do. You, you don't write the other person's name down. You don't need a diagnostic tool for that. You already blamed them for everything anyway, right? You don't need to figure out. You don't need to ask God, show me how much is the other. You already assume that it's all their fault, right? This is, this is you saying, okay, I, I assume that, that, that my boss or my spouse, whoever, is totally at fault, but God, I need you to break me of this pride and this blindness, and I need you to show me. Is there, is there something? Is this, is this actually me? Is there even a little bit of this me? Maybe, maybe it's the whole pie. Maybe it's half. Maybe it's just one little slice. Now, maybe this is about your job with the boss who is a jerk, just like the boss who was a jerk at your last job, the boss who was a jerk at the job before that and the job before that. Maybe this is about your marriage. For some of you, maybe it's about your second marriage, which is starting to resemble the first, because you feel like your current spouse is starting to resemble your first spouse. Although, of course, the only person in both of those troubled marriages is you. Maybe, maybe most of the pie really is, she's a jerk, he's an idiot, they are crazy. But maybe, if you're honest, maybe one little slice, one tiny slice is, well, maybe I might have a little something to do with it. Now, this is very important, especially those of you who have a troubled past. You will never make peace with your past until you own your piece of the past. Your slice, what you did or didn't do, what you said or left unsaid. I'm going to say that again because someone might need to take the time to, to write this down or snap a photo of that. You will never make peace with your past until you own your piece of the past. Even more tragically, we carry the rot of our past into our own future, into every future relationship. And we wonder why it keeps going the same way again and again. We're smuggling the rod of our past into our own future. 
Those of you that have been around Sojourn for a long time will probably remember a, a deacon uh, that we had named Lori King, now Lori Spann, living in Mississippi. About 10, 12, 13 years ago, a small group of us, three or four of us, went out to dinner at Cheesecake Factory. And after uh, Cheesecake Factory, we were going to go watch a movie. Now, Lori had a, a giant purse, uh, more like a suitcase almost. It was a great big purse. So we got this great idea. Hey, let's, uh, when we leave, uh, before we leave the restaurant, we'll each order individual cheesecake slices to go, smuggle them into the movie. Kids, this is wrong. <laughs> movie theater wants you to buy their, their stuff, okay? So what we did... Uh, so, so we got our individual cheesecake slices, we stuffed them in this gigantic purse, we went to the movie. Everything worked out great, it was a good movie, and we enjoyed our cheesecake slices instead of overpriced milk duds. Um, but what if? What if something had gone horribly wrong with those cheesecakes in that purse? Or what if they were already horribly wrong when, when we bought them and, and we just didn't know? And there they are in this purse, and they're putrid, and they're moldy, and they're disgusting. And 20 minutes into the movie, we open the purse, and the smell comes drifting out, and it hits us, and we begin to vomit, and those near us begin to vomit, and there's pandemonium in the theater, and it's the worst movie experience ever, because we have smuggled this rotten, putrid uh, cheesecake into our own future experience of this movie. And now imagine if you yourself are refusing to own your slice of a rotten relationship. You blame your problems on everyone else, but you are smuggling rot into your own future. The tragedy is that the more painful and dramatic this big part of the, the pie is, what was done to you, the less likely you will recognize and own your little part and so you drag it into the future. And you undermine your own happiness. Own it. Ask God to help you figure out what it is to break you of your pride and your blindness. To help you own it. Turn it over to him. Ask for the forgiveness that you know he will extend to you. And ask him to give you wisdom, discipline, and grace to correct course and follow him into a better future. Now remember what we said about hyssop being used for ceremonial cleansing in the book of Leviticus, and then how in Exodus, God told Israelites to use hyssop branches as paintbrushes to paint their doors with lamb's blood so the death angel would pass over them. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Centuries later, John, the disciple and best friend of Jesus, wrote a biography of Jesus called The Gospel of John. And when he's getting towards the end, he's, he's writing about the crucifixion of Jesus. John writes these words, chapter 19, verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk, of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Just as in the Old Testament, blood and hyssop 
purified a defiled person. The cross of Christ purifies us from the defilement of our sin. Own it, then give it to him. The cross is God saying yes and amen to David's words, a broken and contrite heart. You, O God, will not despise. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread like this one. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. And he took a cup of wine like this one. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me until I come back for you. In just a moment, you'll come forward, or if you're in the back half of the room, you'll turn to the back, and there'll be communion stations right in front of the sound booth. When you get to the front of the line, you'll tear off a piece of bread, dip it into either wine or juice, as your conscience permits. Uh, The cups with wine will have strings of twine tied around them. If you need gluten-free communion elements, they'll be right here, my left, your right, right in front of the Christmas tree. This is a covenant renewal ceremony that we take part in every week where we remember the covenant that Christ made with us and we remember that he paid for all the terms and we get all the benefit. If you are not a Christian, you have never accepted this covenant, it wouldn't make sense for you to participate in this covenant renewal ceremony. But I urge you to pray at your seat and to pray this week and to pray with the Christians in your life to accept the covenant for the first time, to receive Christ and we can prepare you to be baptized, and then to participate in communion with us in the weeks to come. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.